Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. We begin this week by introducing you to Dr. Daryl Jackson. He's a physician with a specialty in internal medicine. He's been involved in long-term care since 1993 and is now the Chief Medical Officer for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Dr. Jackson tells us about the department and some of the facilities throughout the state, including the Genome Early Veterans Center in Scranton. Dr. Jackson, welcome. First of all, I'd like to get a little bit about your background. Where do you come from as far as being involved in making your way to the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs? Uh, that's a complicated story. Uh, originally, I started off working in Philadelphia. Um, I graduated from Jefferson Medical College, did residency at the Mercy Hospitals in the Philadelphia Darby area. Um, I started working in nursing homes in 1993. Uh, it was a good experience. Um, I liked working with senior citizens. Uh, you learn a lot from them. They have a lot of experience that we can learn things from. And I've always been that way most of my life, where I like to sit down with senior citizens and listen to their stories. Um, after working in Philadelphia in several different nursing homes, I was invited to join the state veterans home in northeast Philadelphia called Delaware Valley Veterans Home. Um, that's right off of Route 1, uh, the Roosevelt Boulevard. And I worked there for about seven years. And after working there for seven years, uh, I ended up uh, being transferred were invited to come to headquarters to be what they called the Chief of Clinical Services in 2010. Uh, in 2010, I did that position and those duties for about a year. Uh, I left for about six months, I mean, correction, six years, went and worked for a nursing home corporation called uh, Genesis. Uh, a lot of you may know Genesis because uh, they were at one time the largest nursing home corporation in the country. Uh, worked for them for six years, was looking for another opportunity, and about two years ago, I left them to come back to be the chief uh, medical officer at the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs. Well, that does sound like a very interesting way to get to where you are now, and obviously you've been able to bring with you a whole host of information and I enjoy the fact that you say that you like working with the elderly because they can teach you so much. So in this travel from your very beginning to where you are now, what would you say would be the biggest thing that someone or maybe a group of these seniors have imparted to you that you were able to use now that you're in this position with the uh, Pennsylvania Department of Military and Veterans Affairs? Because I guess you'd not only worked with veterans, but you were also just working with non-veterans as well. Yes, that's right. I guess the best thing that they imparted to me is that they all have uh, life stories that make them who they are. 
the thing I like the best about veterans is that they've all made the ultimate sacrifice of putting themselves in harm's way in order to protect our country and the rest of us citizens. Um, it humbles me because I've always sacrificed most of my life to try to pro- to provide the best care I can to senior citizens. So for someone to put their life in harm's way in order to protect my rights, it's, it's very, very humbling. Um, what I learned from other senior citizens who aren't veterans is that they also have a story to, to tell. A lot of them have lived in through some unusual times. Uh, I really like talking to them about the Depression and how hard things were during the Depression eras and how they survived, you know, through that, that time. Um, it taught me that, you know, should, you should never give up. You should keep, you know, pushing, and that sooner or later things will turn out, you know, to the best. Love those optimistic seniors <laughs> because they're at the they're at the point now where they can look back and say, "I made it through this, that, the other thing," and now we have this whole generation of young people that are starting to come up and saying it's so difficult. And it's just interesting when you have that kind of transition across all those different years. And as you said, veterans they do and they have given so much, and and so many of them have seen so much sacrifice. And do you find, Dr. Jackson, now that um, when you're talking with these veterans, because there are still some veterans who you probably have dealings with that we're not talking Afghanistan or Iraq, we're still talking World War II, the Korean War. So there must be quite a lot of stories and a lot of, of generational gaps that appear between one group of veterans and another. Yeah, that's true. Um, living through the, those various wars for the veterans, they, they segregate a little bit themselves. They, they respect each other because they know that they've all, you know, made the ultimate sac- or have made a sacrifice, a significant sacrifice, um, putting themselves in harm's way. Um, you're right. There is a cultural change between each of the veterans, depending on which war they participated in. The World War II veterans, of course, they call that the you know the war to end all wars. And of course, um, they all got a lot of uh, recognition for their participation in that war, while. The Vietnam conflict was a a different situation. The veterans didn't get all the uh, accolades that they deserved after being in that situation until almost 20 years later. And now we see that, especially with us recognizing uh, the effects that it's had on them from being exposed to Agent Orange and some of the other chemicals that were used during that war. Um, They all have real interesting stories. they were different conflicts, and of course, you know, the wars were fought differently, but they will all sit down and talk to you. That's the best way to get a veteran to open up to you is to have them tell you about the stories and their friends, uh, because it's really a good exposure for for individuals who haven't lived through those type of times to see how lucky we are to not have to, you know, go into harm's way in order to, you know, protect our rights. And here in Pennsylvania, we are fortunate that we all have six 
veterans' homes throughout the state, from Philadelphia, as you mentioned, Delaware Valley, the uh, Holidaysburg in Holidaysburg, Pennsylvania Soldiers and Sailors Home in Erie, Southern Veterans Center, Spring City, out in Pittsburgh, it's the Southwestern Veterans Center, and here in the immediate northeastern Pennsylvania area, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Hazleton, we have the Gino Murley Veterans Center, and we have talked with so many people that go in and they volunteer, but there are a lot of things about these veterans' homes that people don't know, and one of them is, especially when we talk about patients who are veterans and who have Alzheimer's. Can you give us a little bit about what's going on as far as the resources that are available in these veterans' homes, especially with the Alzheimer's patients? Yes. Um, you're right. We do have uh, Alzheimer units. They're not really called Alzheimer units. They're called uh, secure units at our buildings. We do have um, specific units for those patients that have dementia. And uh, the good part about that is that we have a lot of staff that's been trained to deal with residents with uh, dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's, whether it's related to strokes, whether it's related to Parkinson's disease. And we keep training them over and over again to make sure that they know how to deal with the veterans in a way that is conducive to them having a good quality of life. Um, Besides the extra training that we give, we have a lot of activities that come into our buildings, both through uh, the veterans' organizations and also from other volunteers. Um, That's the biggest difference that I had noticed at the veterans' homes that I didn't see at the private homes. They don't have that large volunteer population that comes in and interacts with the veterans and provides other additional, you know, activities for them. They'll do things like they'll do Super Bowl parties. They'll do baseball parties where they bring in pizzas and and other foods, whether it's the veterans with dementia or the veterans with, um, you know, uh, physical needs. And the veterans love it, especially interacting with other veterans because they have a lot in common because they've all sort of lived the same life, you know, whether they're in Philadelphia or whether they're from, you know, the Scranton region, Wilkes-Barre region. Um, other than a volunteer program, there there is also a standard activities program that we have, and we spend a lot of time trying to take veterans out on events. Even our demented veterans, we take them to, like, baseball games, uh, basketball games, football games. We take them to all that stuff. And so we throw them all on a you know, big bus, sometimes two buses, and take them down to different you know, activities like that because they get a lot of pre- uh, pleasure out of that. And when you go to other uh, nursing homes, they really don't have the resources to do those type of things, or at least – that's what they say. While we at our veterans' homes, we try to make sure that we have those resources to give them the best activities that they can have, whether they're Alzheimer's demented veterans or whether or not they're veterans that need uh, skilled nursing care. Well, I have to give a shout-out to one of our great local groups that we have here. I don't know whether you're familiar with the Northeastern Pennsylvania chapter of Rolling Thunder, but every July they always do a big motorcycle get-together outside of the Geno Murley Veterans Center, and it wasn't that long ago that uh, they appeared 
appeared here on our program where we were talking about they get together and uh, volunteer for Christmas. And we learned about how they go and they bring gifts to the veterans and spend part of Christmas Day. So I'm not familiar with a lot of the other the other nursing uh, veterans homes that we've been talking about here this morning. But I'm assuming that you also have great support from the volunteers in all of these different communities as well for things like that. Yes, um, the volunteers actually help out around the holidays to help make sure that the veterans have a good holiday, especially since they're in a veteran's homes. Um, usually either the veterans associations or veterans organizations or even the armories actually send over veterans to sort of adopt those veterans for a day around Christmas and find out what kind of gift they would like and they you know, bring gifts to those veterans, especially the ones that don't have families that are visiting on a regular basis. So of course, you know, it makes them feel good that somebody cares about them, especially another, you know, veteran that's been through, that's younger, you know, but has been through some of the experiences that they have had. I was going to say, what type of an age range, because I I mentioned before we were talking about from World War II up to present, and sometimes the the veterans might not necessarily be on in years just because of the circumstances. Is that possible in some of these areas? Recently, even at uh, Gino Murley, we had a resident who was there who was in his late 30s. He had had a brain injury, and he came from one of the Federal uh, Veterans Administration Medical Centers, and uh, we had him with us for about six months to a year. He actually significantly improved, and we got him out to a less restrictive environment where he can you know, go out a little bit more. But, yeah, you're right. We are seeing uh, younger and younger uh, veterans due to you know the recent wars. Um, they're not the predominant population that we see right now. Um, usually our age range starts around mid-50s and goes up to um, hundreds. We have uh, a handful of residents in each of our buildings that's usually around 100 years old. We make a big deal about that. Our secretary of our department, which is uh, General Corelli, comes down every time. They have a uh, resident who's uh, over 100, and they have a big party for them, which is really a good activity, and all the residents really like that. Dr. Jackson, since we've been talking about the um, Department of Military and Veterans Affairs here in the state of Pennsylvania, and you've been giving us a little bit of a more insight than a lot of people may normally get on the veterans' homes, what else would you like us to know about them, aside from the secure memory care units and, and the volunteers and the wealth of information that these veterans are in all of these communities that we mentioned? Anything specific that may be from your background, from your interaction with them, that you'd like to share with our audience that maybe we otherwise might not ever know about? Yes. Um, As you said, we have uh, veterans' homes in six regions throughout the state, and we're here to care for Pennsylvania veterans um, as best as possible. I mean, we want to give them the best care they could possibly have. And so we actually have some personal care units that are in certain regions. Um, the Altoona, Hollidaysburg region has a personal care. There's a personal care up towards Erie, and then there's another one that's down towards Spring City. And the reason for that is because in certain areas we have um, a need for that type of care. 
Uh, part of the problem is that we're now getting a lot of residents who are at the end of life. Families kept them at home as long as possible, and they want to get them into one of our homes because they can't you know, do it anymore. Um, one of the other things that um, we want to bring to your attention is that we're looking at expanding services to include adult daycare. And the first adult daycare we're going to open is going to be in the Spring City Limerick area at our Southeast Veterans Center. But we're also uh, looking at expanding that service to all six of our uh, veterans' homes because we realize that a lot of families are keeping their family member at home, but they need help for like a couple hours while they go out, you know, to do some shopping or some basic, you know, needs, go to the bank or, you know, or if the family member has to go to work for eight hours and they need somebody to watch their their family member for, you know, eight, ten hours until they can get home from work. We're, we're looking at providing all those services to basically help both the veterans and their families so that the veterans can stay at home as long as possible. And then, you know, we have the nursing homes, of the veterans' homes available for when they get to that point where they can't stay at home any longer. That is an absolutely wonderful service. Absolutely wonderful. I know there have been some uh, different county organizations that have had those in the past years, but to expand that to the veterans' homes, that is that is just amazing. Dr. Jackson, if anyone would like to volunteer, would you say that they should just contact the home in their area and yes. uh, be able to, you know, just tell them what they would like to do and and then go from there? How should they approach that? Well, if they're in the Scranton area, they should uh, either contact Sarah Butler or uh, Dolores Davis up in Scranton. Dolores' number in Scranton is uh, 570-961-4380. And then uh, Sarah Butler's number, who's in charge of admissions up in Scranton, her phone number is 570-961-4348. The numbers for the rest of the homes, they should just contact the home and ask for either the admissions coordinator or for the volunteer coordinator. Uh, We have volunteer coordinators at all of our facilities so that when people want to volunteer and, you know, help out with veterans that we're able to coordinate that and figure out when's the best time to have them come in with assistance, you know, just to help out with the veterans. And we certainly hope that the next time you're making a trip up to the Geno Murley Veterans Center in Scranton, that you'll stop by and visit with us. Yes, we will. Oh, also, if they want to contact the homes, there's a website. It's www.veteranshomes.pa.gov. Thanks again to Dr. Daryl Jackson, the Chief Medical Officer for the Department of Veterans Affairs, for joining us today on Special Edition. And coming up, as we talked about with Dr. Jackson, a local group, Rolling Thunder, will be helping out at the Geno Murley Center this coming holiday season. We have Augie Barheit with us, and he will be here in just a few moments to give you details on how you can help them visit veterans at Christmas. Don't go away. Welcome back More to Special, Special Edition. Edition to come. We started off our program today talking with Dr. Daryl Jackson. He is the Chief Medical Officer for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Locally, many organizations help veterans, including Rolling Thunder. They have, every July, a 
big meeting at the Gino Murley Center in Scranton where hundreds of motorcycles get together to raise money for veterans. Augie Barheit is with Rolling Thunder, and he's here to tell us not only about the activities they do in the summer, but also some very special activities that their group has coming up in December in time for Christmas with veterans at Gino Murley. They also are looking for volunteers. Augie, we usually have you here around the time that uh, Rolling Thunder is getting together and doing a very big event that everybody knows you for, which is? It's a salute to veterans ride, and it's held at Gino Murley Center on Mulberry Street in Scranton. And when is that? Third Sunday in July every year. Okay, so we're a little bit past July and a little bit time to go. So today you're in because you'd like to get more people involved in Rolling Thunder and helping the veterans. What are you What are you looking for? Well, we'd like to see more help. Like to get some new members if we could. Uh, we're a small group right now. We're only about seventeen or eighteen people, and I think we're one of the bigger rides in the area. And it, it's kind of tough. Most of us are senior citizens anymore. <laughs> Not you. Oh, trust me, I feel like it. Some days are better than others. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say that you'd like to get other people involved, what are you looking for? Are you looking for riders? Are you looking for volunteers? Actually, both. I, I'd like to get some volunteers that would that are interested in helping the veterans. Uh, during the winter, we do six bingos one, once a month. And it's kind of nice. You get down to the Murley Center there, and you spend an hour, maybe an hour and a half by the time you bring them down from the rooms and take them back. Oh, you actually go to the center and play bingo yes, with we, the vets. we sponsor the bingo, and uh, we just give them a hand with their cards and uh, whatever else they need at that time. So, again, you're busy in the wintertime because the big part is in July, but you also had mentioned um, at one point in time when we talked that Christmas is very important. Yes, it is. The money we raise in the ride in July there, that money's earmarked pretty much for their Christmas present. And it's nice. We go down Christmas morning, we pass out the presents. And usually it's something like a blanket or a sweater, a nice cardigan sweater, or maybe a sweatsuit. There's a committee up there between employees and residents, and they decide what they need for that year. So everyone that's in the center there gets the same present every year. Oh, okay. So it's it's not like you have to worry about, well, gee, I've played bingo with this gentleman the last week, and he mentioned that he'd like this or anything like that. So No, no. We, <laughs> we kind of let it, that stuff to the family, if they have family that comes in to see them. You know, there's some of these guys up there, that they have no family coming in. I knew of one resident, the family member dropped him off, and that was the last he seen them. Wow. I mean, that, that's kind of hard. Uh, it, it touches you when you get up there and you see some of the stories. And when you have the opportunity to go up and uh, just going up and playing bingo, about how many people, uh, you said you have about 17, 18, is it the whole club? No, it it varies. This This past Sunday we had... Five people there. And one gentleman came in, and he left early because he had a commitment. Yeah, It's kind of loose for what we do there. But as a requirement for Rolling Thunder, we, we need to get three events in. So if we do our ride and two bingos, we've got our three events. Then all we have to do is make a few meetings. Give us a little bit of the background of Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder was started down in Jersey, I believe it was. That's where our national headquarters is. A few gentlemen, they wanted to make 
uh, people aware of the POW MIA issues? You know, how many people were actually left behind and nothing was being done for them? So they, they started this organization in 20, ooh, I'm going to say almost 30 years ago, they started doing a protest ride in Washington. And it started out with a few thousand motorcycles. And it's been as high as over a million motorcycles for that one-day event. We take up the whole Pentagon parking lot, the North parking lot. And then now we've taken over the South parking lot. And there's a, another small overflow lot, we call it. And I've seen where all three lots were just jammed full and they couldn't put anybody else in. They just blocked the street and left the bike sit there until we got going. And it'd take four hours for everybody to get out of the parking lots and get through the ride. Wow. Yeah. That's And so compare that to what you folks do in July here. You get, a, for this area, you do get a great crowd. We get a great crowd here. We get anywhere from three to, we've had as high as 800 motorcycles at one time. Now, so. when we talk about the fact that you're looking for some volunteers, I think it's probably a good idea to point out that riding is not necessarily a requirement. No, it's not. You don't need a motorcycle, and you don't have to be a veteran. All you have to have is the desire to help veterans and their issues. And where do you meet? We meet at the VFW on Main Street in DuPont, uh, the third Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. We try and keep it informal. You know, I'm not a good public speaker. and <laughs> I think you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to get it quick and simple and be on our way. We've all got busy lives. and. Mm-hmm. So when you go to the meetings in DuPont, then you have the opportunity to kind of plan out a little bit. And I guess one of the other things, too, I have to ask is, here you are. Do you have any of the ladies involved as well? Oh, yeah. My wife, uh, the vice president's wife, I think five or six women in our chapter right now. And they're pretty strong. You know, they they keep us in line. <laughs> they probably come up with a lot of those good ideas. Yeah, they're very good at that. When uh, when we're talking about, again, the whole idea of helping the veterans, you focus mainly on Geno Murley Center in Scranton, or do you branch out? Um, our chapter took on the Geno Murley Center 20 years ago. That's a requirement with Rolling Thunder. Each chapter needs to have a facility or a veterans base that they sponsor. You know, that's their primary help. When there was a chapter down in Hazleton, they would come up to the Veterans uh, Hospital here in Wilkesboro. And, you know, we kind of worked together back then. And I don't know what happened down there, but they had folded. And we've been fortunate up here. You know, we've been as high as 200 members, and now we're down to 17 or 18. Hopefully I can build it back up again so we, we have a successful chapter here. When we're talking about the chapters as well, so are you the only Rolling Thunder chapter here in Northeast Pennsylvania? In Northeastern Pennsylvania, yes. There's a gentleman, he's talking about trying to start one down near Stroudsburg. I haven't really got much information on that yet. I'll, I'll get it as soon as he starts because I'm also the state liaison for Rolling Thunder. Do you have a website, Facebook page? I know probably the national does, but how about the local? Yeah, we do. It's uh, rollingthunderpa3.com. And we're also on Facebook. Just do a search. Yeah, and it'll come right up. I know you said that you don't like to keep people very long because that's probably one of the biggest things is time. But do you have a time requirement that you ask people, you must do this, you must do that no, kind of thing? No, we have a few meetings a year and, like I said, three events, which you can do rather easily. We've got seven events that we do throughout the year. You know, we got six bingos plus the ride. And 
if there's something that comes up, uh, Toby Hanna Depot, when they do the POW MIA day, we put a flag one year and then a wreath the next. So and we, Christmas morning. Christmas morning, yes, that's that's a big one. If somebody would just like to get involved in maybe that, could they just could they just do that? Because I know it's just like many other organizations, especially on the holidays, they bring food to people, they you know, that kind of oh, a yeah. thing. All they have to do is get a hold of me and we'll take care of it. And what's the best way to do that? The email is A U G I E B A R at comcast.net that's the best way to get a hold of me and uh, i'll gladly get back to you and let you know what's going on give us again augie the um place for the meetings when they happen it's the vfw on main street in dupont it's the third wednesday of every month at 7 p.m and you did say you have six bingos are they random times during the year certain months usually it's the sunday after our meeting so that, that way you can right. kind of take a head count and let everybody know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to give the floor to you and the microphone. You just tell everybody who you're looking for, why you're looking for them, and again, why it's important that they should remember their vets. I'm looking for anyone that has a passion to help our veterans, past and present, our POWs, our MIAs, and our primary goal here is the let people be aware that we have left people behind and we don't want it to happen again. Also, the riders, third Sunday in July, I believe this coming year, would be the 21st, and that would be our 20th ride, and we're trying to make it a big one this year. We're already starting to plan with Warhorse and people that are major sponsors in that to help us out here. It sounds like you might get some help from the National as well, and, and maybe not as big as Washington, but you might be able to rival them with a couple of parking lots in downtown Scranton. I hope so. <laughs> well, maybe National, they have their meeting the same day as our ride, so I hope they'll come in and have their meeting up here. Oh, that would be, well, you'll have to keep us posted yeah, on that. To, that, would try be, that. Yeah, that'd that'd be nice. That would be great. Yep. Augie, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Augie Barhide for joining us today from Rolling Thunder. And of course, if you would like to help out or volunteer, you can always contact them because they can always use some extra hands. Speaking of the holidays, the Whitehaven Area Community Library is hosting their 8th annual Holiday Quilts and Craft Show. It's happening Saturday, December 1st from 10 until 3. The event spread over two venues, the historic DeWitt Homestead on 231 Wilkes-Barre Street and at the Whitehaven Community Library on Tawanda Street. Also, the Wyoming Valley Barbershop Harmony Chorus will present Love at Christmas. That's coming up Sunday, December 9th, 2 p.m. at Saints Peter and Paul Church, Hudson Road in Plains. The program will include featured guests. Tickets are $5 each and will be sold at the door. Now don't go away. We have more special edition yet to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. Megan Milo is here. She's VP of Operations at the Ken Pollock Auto Group. They have a coat drive. Megan, welcome. Nice to have you here. You have all kinds of things that are happening, and our listeners always like to help. So 
Tell us about it and how they can get involved. Hi, Paula. Thanks for having me here. Sure. We're really excited for this holiday season. One thing that we do every year and in a way that we give back to our community is we have a coat drive at all of our dealerships. And our dealerships like um, Ken Pollock Alfa Romeo, Maserati, Ken Pollock Nissan, uh, Ken Pollock Volvo in Luzerne County, we're collecting coats until December 18th for um, Luzerne County Children's Head Start. Up in Carbondale, Ken Pollock Mitsubishi is collecting coats for um, the local YMCA that benefits the community up in Lackawanna in County. Um, down in Berwick in Columbia County, we have Ken Pollock Ford Lincoln, and they're collecting coats to benefit the Head Start in Columbia County. So there's lots of drop-off locations, easy, convenient access. So bring in your coats and warm someone in, up in need. When we talk about uh, there are a lot of organizations that do have co- different coat drives and things like that, it sounds a little bit unusual that an auto dealership would be getting involved in taking coats and different things like that. What makes this so important to the folks at Ken Pollock. From the beginning, um, Ken Pollock Auto Group has always been really involved in the community, and we take great pride in the communities in which we do business in. So it only makes sense for us to give back and help others in need, as you know we've had so much success from our communities, and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the great people in our area. So this is just something in one of the many ways in which you know we give back to those who are in need, um, who are always there for us at the end of the day. And one of the other things, it was around Halloween time that your dealerships were also involved in doing something for the kids. Every year we have a trunk or treat where all of our dealerships, we pop open the trunks and load them up with a bunch of candy. And um, at our Volvo location, since that's kind of the the safety store with Volvo being known as uh, the safest vehicle out there on the road. So um, we have Operation Kids Safe every year and um, it's free digital photo IDs and fingerprinting for your children, and God forbid, in any emergency situation. So you have something tangible to hand to authorities um, if you should need to. One of the other things, and as we're staying on the idea of helping kids, you also have a car seat program. And I think you have one of those that's also coming up in relation to the month of December. We do. We um, at the Ken Pollock Volvo store, we host, uh, in conjunction with the Pennsylvania State Police, Um, car seat safety checks. So we do it every quarterly about, and we just had one in October as well, and there was pumpkin decorating for children and car seats and and, and fun like that. But for December, we wanted to do something holiday-themed. So on December 13th, it's a a Thursday, from 2 to 5 p.m. at Ken Pollock Volvo in Pittston, we're going to have cookies with Santa Claus this year. So you could bring the kids, get their car seat checked, especially, you know, now since children and the car seat requirements have changed so drastically. So Um, Santa will be there, cookies, you can have photos with Santa. So we're really excited about about the holiday um, car seat check this year. And it also sounds like it's one of those things, as you mentioned, the fact that there have been some changes. And that must also affect vehicles. Absolutely. Technology is ever changing in this world. It's you can't it's, you know, you gotta keep up with it. So the car manufacturers do a really great job about making tethers and seats that accommodate all sorts of sizes of uh, car seats these days. Once again, let's talk about those coats. Your the drive is only until December eighteenth. December eighteenth, yes. They do not have to be new, they can be gently used. Um we also are accepting adult 
coats as well. So not just for children, but also for adults. Um, those will also benefit those in need. So clean out your closets and bring in some coats. And once again, can you run down the uh, list of places? So in Luzerne County, we have Ken Pollock Alfa Romeo Maserati, which is on Monday Street, right across from Olive Garden. We have Ken Pollock Volvo Cars here in Pittston, um, right on Route 315. Ken Pollock Nissan, which is also on Monday Street. And um, up in uh, Lackawanna County, we have Ken Pollock Mitsubishi, which they're benefiting the Lackawanna County Head Start and Catholic Social Services, as well as the YMCA. And down in Columbia County in Berwick, we have Ken Pollock Ford Lincoln, um, and that coats there are benefiting Columbia County Head Start. So all somebody has to do is? Walk in and drop off a coat. That's and, it. And it doesn't have to be new. doesn't have to be new. It can be gently used or worn. And it's not just kids. It's not just kids. Wow, you guys are great. Men and children, yeah. Yeah, oh, everyone. That's right. Now, when is the distribution going to be done? It'll be on the 20th of December. So, every year, in conjunction with the uh, Luzerne County Head Start, everyone within the company, um, we buy gifts for the children there as well. So, Santa and Frosty make an appearance at uh, the Luzerne County Head Start as well. And then that's when the collection will take place and all of the coats will be dispersed. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like it ought to be a lot of fun for everyone. It is. It is. We look forward to it every year and we thoroughly enjoy it. And the 13th again is going to be the car seat with the Pennsylvania State Police and... Cookies with Santa. I wonder, do you think Santa is going to give up the sleigh this year? That he might be in uh, in line for a Maserati? He, he might. He might be behind the wheel of a Maserati or, a, you know, a little red Volvo. We're not really sure yet these days. <laughs> well, you just have a wonderful time and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Paula. It was a pleasure. There's also a fundraiser coming up for Tracy's Hope Hospice Care Program and Rescue. Denise Kumor has the details. Let's have you explain you... The organization has a very unique title in the fact that it contains the word hospice. Yes. So exactly what does the organization do? We do many things. Um, Hospice is very unique. Uh, We're the only one in this area that actually does hospice. And hospice for animals is, is different than hospice in a sense for people. Um, Hospice for Animals has, we have incorporated home euthanasia, where the animal that is suffering and terminally ill, there's no hope for that animal, um, we bring euthanasia to the homes where um, the animals are relaxed, they can die at home, it's easier for the owner, and it's easier for the pet. Mm -hmm. Um, We also help uh, with pending our... our, uh, our finance finances, we help, we can help with um, medication for end stage. We can help with um, some financial things for people who can't afford it for their animal. Now, the other part of the name is Tracy's. Yes, Tracy was my dog. She was my first hospice patient. I took her home to die. And I thought it was very important. I did not want her to die in of a veterinarian's office, and she died at home. And how long ago was that? Oh, gee, 15, 16, 17 years, maybe. So it actually started then right after that? Yes, the organization started um, about two weeks after she passed. 
So when you went through this yourself, which any pet owner knows is a heart gut wrenching, heartbreaking thing that you just, but you were willing to then go ahead and say, I did this for Tracy and there must be others out there. Is that how it blossomed? It is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, It's so needed. It's so needed. When you're involved in something like this, Denise, again, it's, uh, it's such a, uh, it's such a thing for to take on because you're almost reliving the same thing. Then do you, how does it work? Do well, you, are you the person that goes out there and makes the arrangements? Um, uh, Marty, Marty Coomer is our coordinator and he does a lot of the arrangements on the phone with the veterinarian, with the family. You know, we approach subjects like what are you going to do with the remains? You know, we get that all in preparation before the actual euthanasia. Um, Now, sometimes we work with families for um, months before the animal is ready to be euthanized. And uh, we establish uh, a rapport with that family where they trust us, they call us, they, you know, they reach out to us for for all different aspects of the animal's care. And uh, that's when it becomes emotionally draining but um so far we've we've been good with it but there's another aspect to your organization as well yes there's actually several one is uh adoption and rescue we uh rescue animals that's on a very minimal scale right now we um basically do uh animal rights issues. We work with the district attorney's offices and uh, the police departments to um, get animals to safety uh, out of the animal abuser's hands. And uh, we, we, you know, it's a learning process as well for us. You know, we've learned a lot on the legal aspects of things and um, we get them into uh, homes Uh, when uh, we hold the criminal evidence, um, when the animal is abused. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't like animal rights activists, but we try to work with the law. And um, we've gained their trust, we've gained their respect, and uh, we'll go to any extreme to get that animal to safety within the realms of the law. And then when that happens... You then are able to, once a case is closed, you're able to find a home for that animal? Because, again, some of these cases can drag on for a long time. Yes, our our most recent case, um, that uh, hung on for five and a half years. We had bills of 71 grand where um, the volunteers, my volunteers, again, they are amazing, amazing volunteers, Um, They actually uh, went out and solicited. They did fundraisers um, every weekend, and we paid our veterinarians all of that money. So now we're free and clear for this particular case, but we're working on other cases as well right now. Um, There are times when we are watching for many, many months and trying to gain our evidence for the police department and the district attorney's offices so that these animals can uh, come to safety and that these abusers 
can be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And then do you you have to keep these animals? So um, Sometimes we do, yeah. Um, we had uh, 30 dogs from the recent case in Music. The, the majority of the dogs were in foster homes, and they're specialized foster homes that we pick and we inspect. And um, again, these foster volunteers and families are exceptional, exceptional, because they take on these animals not knowing if we're going to win the case or not, and they're going to have to give them back. And, uh, you know, they're just wonderful. They're just wonderful. There are very many wonderful animal people out there. You've been doing this for how long? 25 plus years. So you've seen a lot of changes. What would you say are some of the changes now that you're seeing with people and their pets? I do think in the aspect of the law, it's starting to change with Libra's law. But unfortunately, that law is not clearly defined. So um, the lawyers have a problem having the felony stick. But right now, the felonies are are our backbone. Are you seeing more hoarding situations? Um, I think you'll always see hoarding situations and puppy mills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, the one in Muzik, he was a puppy mill. It was the Muzik police, the district attorney's office, the federal prosecutors that helped us get these dogs to safety. As far as the fundraising aspect is concerned, how would, how do they get in touch with you and maybe either find out about volunteering, helping out? Do you have anything coming up in the near future? Yes, yes, we um, we do. We're doing a purse bingo in May, and that's one of our major fundraisers that helps us a lot. Um, we have um, something coming up at the Steamtown Mall, pictures for pets, and that's uh, December fifteenth. And that's from 12 noon until 5. And there will be many other rescues there. Um, there will be dogs for adoption and things for sale. We're having a bake sale, a raffle. We're raffling off a laptop computer that benefits the works of the animal rights team. You have a Facebook page. Yes, yes. You can reach out to us uh, through our Facebook page, Tracy's Hope Hospice. We also have a website, and it's www.tracyshope.com. You can, you can call us, 570-457-1625. You have the right to feel safe in your home. This includes the right under federal fair housing laws to be free from unwanted sexual conduct. I'm United States Attorney David Freed. The Department of Justice wants you to know that if you have been sexually harassed by a landlord or property manager, a loan officer or housing official, a maintenance worker or security guard, you can do something about it. Contact us at 844-380-6178 or email fairhousing at usdoj.gov. You have rights under the Fair Housing Act. Call 844-380-6178 or email fairhousing at usdoj.gov. Everyone has the right to feel safe at home. Imagine being forced to live outside with only a thin coat to protect you from the bitter cold. Desperate, you call out to your family, but they ignore you. 
All alone you shiver and shake as frostbite sets in and you slowly freeze to death. When it's cold, bring your cat or dog inside. Make sure other outside animals have adequate food, water, and shelter, and report neglect immediately. For more information, visit PETA.org or call 757-622-PETA. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications.